very glad you can be here in person and online for this best day of the year. And uh, as we prayed as a team before we came out, it's something to think of the chorus of worship and praise that keeps coming up every time zone that's already been coming as the day moves from east to west. And Christians gather in all different kinds of settings and contexts to praise God from war-torn Ukraine to the beauty and quiet of Cape Cod. How good are you at following instructions? Something for you to think about. I mean, if someone tells you to do something, do you do what you're told? Do you do what you want? Are you someone who says, don't tell me what to do? Can people trust you? with something confidential? Or does it end up in conversation or on social media? The reason why I ask you these questions is because in the Gospel of Mark, which is the earliest account we have of the life and ministry of Jesus, people often are not good at following instructions. They don't listen well. They don't do what they're told to do. You see, in the Gospel of Mark, and for those of you who may be guests today because you're visiting family, we're delighted you're here, we're going through all the books of the Bible here at Brewster Baptist Church. We started last July. We'll finish with Revelation the second week of October. So we're up to the Gospel of Mark. And in the Gospel of Mark, one of the things you notice if you read through it is people often speak when they're told to be quiet. And then on Easter Sunday, when they're told to speak, They keep quiet. See, early in Mark's gospel, Jesus is doing amazing things. He's healing people left and right. He's casting out demons. He's even bringing a 12-year-old girl back to life. And Jesus repeatedly tells people, now don't tell anybody about this, but people don't listen because what Jesus is doing is so amazing that they just can't keep quiet about it couple examples. In Mark chapter 7 at verse 36, after he's helped somebody who couldn't hear or speak to be able to do both, it says, then Jesus ordered them to tell no one. But the more he ordered them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. In Mark chapter 8 and verse 26, he heals a blind man. And he tells him, do not even go into the village or tell anyone in the village. Now, seriously, how does a blind man who now can see hide the fact that now he can see people? I mean, how do you not tell? What's new with you? Nothing. You know, I mean, how do you not tell someone what happened to you when you were blind and now you can see? So a few verses later, when Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And Peter answers, you are the Messiah. And it says in verse 30, and he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about this. So why do I share all this with you? Because there is a time to be silent and there's a time to speak. And on Easter, it's no longer a time to be silent. It's a time to speak about what happened with Jesus and why should it matter and why does it matter for you? So listen to the resurrection story from Mark chapter 16, beginning at verse 1. 
When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Fled. Terror. Afraid. Those sound like words from the evening news or words people use to describe how they're feeling today all over the world. They're not necessarily words you associate with Easter. But they're there. Fled. Terror. Afraid. You know, whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or more, or you're here listening and haven't yet become a follower of Christ and haven't taken that step of faith, most of us know the basics of the Easter story. Jesus taught and healed people. He suffered and died on a cross. And his followers believe God raised him from the dead. That's the core of the story. If you want, we can stop and just sing for another half an hour. And I'm sure some of you would like that. But I'm going to talk to you for a while anyway, so you might as well sit back and enjoy it. In Mark's gospel, the women who hear the news are afraid. And I think many people, maybe even some of you, are afraid today for a lot of different and very valid reasons with all that's going on in the world. So why should this story about Jesus being raised from the dead matter to you? Well, let's start at the beginning of the story. Tradition says Mark's gospel reflects the perspective of the apostle Peter that he shared it, told it to John Mark. And in Mark's gospel, compared to the others, Jesus is almost constantly active. You have the repetition of the word in Greek that's translated as, and immediately, and immediately, and then, at once. Jesus is always doing things. And Mark's gospel records the fewest words of Jesus of all four of the gospels. And in Mark, the events of Easter Sunday begin with the women buying spices so that they might go and anoint him. And that's why you went to a tomb when a burial had taken place in a hasty fashion. You went to anoint a dead body. That's expected. It's not a surprise. It's not a shock. It's just part of the ritual of death and dying. It also tells us the women were not expecting a resurrection, right? You wouldn't go sp buy spices to anoint a dead body if you didn't think a body was going to be there. And while Easter is a joyful, triumphant day for us, woohoo! 
The women come to the tomb in Mark 16. They are not feeling any joy whatsoever. They're grieving. They're in shock over all that has happened over the last 48 hours or so. They're grieving as some of you are who have recently lost a loved one. Just on Good Friday, we learned that Laura Guiges and her family lost her dad after a wonderful, long, and full life. Some of you may remember, if you've been here, that Laura has played the cello, accompanied by her dad on the piano, a uh, number of times through the years here at DBC. So we want to pray for Laura and her family. We also learned on Good Friday that one of our longtime members, June Bohannon, uh, who sang in the choir, was a part of this church for many, many decades, passed away on Good Friday in Florida. And so we have families even in our church who are feeling like the women were on that first Easter Sunday. They're grieving the loss of someone they loved, and they're going to the cemetery to pay their respects. So what do we know about these grieving women who come to the tomb? Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Joseph, and Salome. Well, if you looked in your Bible, in Mark chapter 15, verse 40, we learn that they're present at a distance when Jesus is dying on the cross, which tells us they have the courage to be publicly associated with Jesus. Are you willing to do that in your life? Are you willing to be publicly associated with Jesus Christ? In the next verse, we learn that the women had followed Jesus and provided for his needs when he was in Galilee. They've not just been casual or occasional observers in the crowd. They have committed themselves to following Jesus, serving him, and providing resources for his ministry. And again, Mark presents the women as an example for us to follow and calls us to do the same. In verse 47, we discover that the women stay long enough after Jesus died to see the tomb where Joseph of Arimathea placed the body of Christ. And now at the beginning of chapter 16, they're portrayed as going to the tomb at the first possible moment to properly anoint Jesus' dead body. So in all these snapshots, we see these women as an example of what I think is a desperately needed virtue in the world today, and that is courageous compassion. There is a tremendous need in the world for courageous compassion. They care enough about Jesus to stick with him and to serve him and to support him, even when it's risky and difficult. And we need to show similar courageous compassion in our time. It's so needed. People are becoming angrier, more anxious, more fearful, more violent, more depressed. And women and men inspired by Christ whose lives are marked by courageous compassion share the power and presence and love of God in such a way that it helps to hold relationships and churches and communities together. The women we observe at the cross and at the tomb can inspire you by their example of courageous compassion. What a wonderful way it would be to be known, wouldn't it, for all of us? Well, as the women went to the tomb early in the morning on that first day of the week, the primary question in their mind was, who's going to roll away the giant stone that was blocking the entrance to the tomb so they could anoint the body? And the women are worrying about this because that obstacle, frankly, was just too large for them to handle on their own. But when they arrive, God has already taken care of it. 
And oftentimes in life, how many times have you worried about something and spent a lot of useless time, wasted hours, worrying about something that never ends up taking place? Has that ever happened for you? Maybe once or twice. And what happens? Well, God goes before us sometimes and clears the path, makes a way, opens a door. Has that ever happened for you? That God's rolled away the stone after you worried and fretted before you even got there. Well, when they arrive at the tomb, the women are shocked not only that the stone has been rolled away, but to discover a young man robed in white in the tomb who tells them not to be alarmed. This is one of the funniest lines in the entire Bible, right? You imagine walking into a tomb with no lights, Having somebody robed in white, all bright, a body's missing, say to you, hey, don't be alarmed. Too late. <laughs> I'm already really alarmed. <laughs> How could they not be alarmed? And then he shares the good news about Jesus of Nazareth. He has been raised. He's not here. And the women are charged to, not to be silent, go and tell Go and tell the other disciples that Jesus will meet them in Galilee just as he told them. The messenger is reminding the women that Jesus had told the disciples already what was to happen before he was crucified. Back in Mark chapter 14 and verse 28, when Jesus and his disciples went out to the Mount of Olives, Jesus said, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So he told them. What was going to happen? Now, it's important to remember the importance of Jesus being raised up. Now, hear me out on this. A lot of Christians focus on the cross and Jesus' suffering and death. And there are many contemporary songs, many hymns that focus on the cross, Jesus' blood being shed, his suffering and his death. And we've sang them all week long, and we've sang, we'll sing some of them today as well. And if you ask people, why did Jesus come to earth? What was Jesus' purpose? Many people will say something like, he came to die so people could be forgiven. Right? That's one of the first things you think of. And while that statement is true, it's incomplete. It's incomplete. Think of it this way. Say you owed a bank a million dollars. And you walked into the bank one day, and the bank manager said to you, I've got good news. The bank is forgiving your $1 million debt. It's gone. How would you feel? You'd be more excited than you are right now looking at me. You'd be relatively happy about that fact. Okay, but then when you walked outside, you're happy, but at the same time you realize, you know what? I'm still broke. I don't have the debt, but I'm still broke. Now imagine you walk into the bank. You owe a million dollars. And you walk in and Jesus says, I've got good news for you. I bought the bank. And I own it. And I've not only forgiven your debt, and you don't owe a million dollars anymore, 
But now you're part of the corporation. Here's a company credit card. There's no limit. And you can use it for anything you need, and you never have to worry about running out of funds because I have more than enough. So you can live freely, generously, without fear, and you can tell other people this offer is available to them too at no cost. It's a free gift that's called grace. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. But Christ has not only forgiven the debt, he's given us of his life. That's what it's like to know not only that you've been forgiven, but that Jesus has been raised, death has been defeated, and new and eternal life is possible and can begin right now and is offered to you and to all. And that's good news. It's really good news. Mark 16, verse 8, records the response of the women to this incredible experience. Hearing Jesus has been raised, his body is gone, so they went out and fled from the tomb for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So why did these courageous, compassionate women flee in silence and in fear? Well, first of all, they've had a pretty remarkable experience. I think we can cut them a little slack here. But also another factor may be maybe they're afraid of being mocked as unreliable witnesses if they tell what they've experienced. The idea that women would be given this hugely important task was a major reversal of roles in the culture at that time. So give the women credit. They're last at the cross. They're first at the tomb, and they're still looking for ways to serve Jesus. They're not portrayed as hiding themselves locked in a room or going fishing like some of men I could name. But won't, I'll talk about them in a couple weeks. The women had the courage to go to the tomb, but they fled in fear and initially didn't share this story as they were told to, although obviously eventually they did. Now, there's something about Mark's resurrection story that distinguishes it from our memories of Easter and from all the other Gospels, even the Gospel of Matthew that David shared at the sunrise service this morning. Someone is missing. And I'll give you a hint. It's not the Easter bunny. Someone is missing from the resurrection story in Mark's Gospel. And we all know who it is. Jesus! Yeah, how about that? There's no Jesus. <laughs> no, he's really not there. Does that surprise you? Not there. Yeah. In, in Matthew, Luke, and John, Jesus shows up. He appears to the women or to the other disciples to take away their fear and doubt, to give final instructions. In Mark's gospel, uh-uh. It ends almost in mid-sentence, and there's no appearance of the risen Christ. And a good study Bible, if you look at it, will tell you that Mark's gospel ended at verse 8. Yeah, and verses 9 through 20 are a later edition. And, and scholars debate, you know, did the end of the gospel get lost, or did Mark intentionally end his gospel this way? And I side with those scholars who say he did it that way on purpose. 
because Mark's gospel ends like an interactive, unfinished story. Because you're invited to write the next chapter. You're the one who's called to say, how will this story end for you? Are you going to believe the good news? Are you going to live in the power of the resurrection? Are you going to tell others about it or not? The messenger told the women, go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And Mark wants you to answer the question. Will you go and tell the story of Jesus to others? Will you believe it and tell it? Or will you run away or walk away and remain silent? The choice is up to you. The good news for the women and for us in our fear is that Jesus goes before us, just as he told us. Jesus goes ahead. And part of what Mark is saying is if you want to meet the risen Christ, you have to keep moving forward in life and trusting his word. Because you don't meet him at the tomb. You have to go and keep going. And in the command of the messenger lies the good news of forgiveness and hope and new life. You want to meet the risen Christ, you've got to go in faith, expecting he will be faithful to meet you. One final aspect of the Easter story is the promise of forgiveness. Jesus doesn't give up on you when you fail. Do you ever stress out when you fail or something doesn't go well and you're all worried about how are people going to perceive you and how are you going to handle it? People are going to think less of you. Jesus doesn't give up on you when you fail. And that's why Peter is specifically mentioned. He was the leader among the disciples, the one who denied Jesus three times. On and yet Jesus is looking forward to seeing him in Galilee. Peter will be forgiven. And part of the good news of Easter is whatever sins you have, they can be forgiven in Christ. Part of the hope of Easter is a renewed purpose and a fresh start for all the disciples who have denied Jesus, betrayed Jesus in his final week. And we can betray Jesus in many ways when you give in to the pressure of temptations and trials, when you've spoken words or made decisions that contradict who God calls you to be when you treat people inappropriately, when you fail to confess and address the wrongs that you commit, when you've forsaken your commitments, when you've neglected the poor, ignored the lost, or given too much of your time and resources to matters of little eternal consequence. Each of us has to decide what we believe. And trust me, you benefit in life from believing the good news of the Easter message that God can bring resurrection out of crucifixion, hope out of despair, joy out of sorrow, new life out of death. For Mark, the joy of Easter comes when we believe and tell the good news of the resurrection. And telling the good news is the calling of each and every believer. Now, we're all blessed to know how the story ends for Jesus. He's been raised. He is exalted. The question is, how will it end for you? And for others, God wants you to tell. He has been raised. He is not here is the message that gives hope to all, even when we're anxious and afraid. 
Frederick Buechner put it this way. He said, anxiety and fear are what we know best. Wars and rumors of war. From civilization itself to what seem the most unalterable values of the past, everything is threatened or already in ruins. We have heard so much tragic news that when the news is good, we cannot hear it. But the proclamation of Easter Day is that in the end, love is the victor. Death is not the end. The end is life. His life and our lives through him, in him. Existence has greater depths of beauty, mystery, and benediction than the wildest visionary has ever dared to dream. Christ, our Lord, has risen. Amen? Believe and share the good news. Please join me in prayer. Oh God, we thank you so much for raising Jesus from the dead. And we thank you that as Paul shared with the Romans, that we are reconciled to you by Christ's death. Even much more, we are saved by his life. And Lord, I pray and I plead today that you would help those of us who have fallen, uh, followed Christ for many, many years. Lord, would you renew our faith this morning? Fill us again with your love for all of your people. Give us a passion to tell others the good news. And Lord, for those who have never taken that step of faith, who have never made that decision that I want Christ to be the leader of my life. I want to be reconciled to God by Christ's death on the cross through which my sins are forgiven. I want to be saved by the power of his resurrected life, which conquers even death. I want to live a life of abundant eternal love and joy that is available to me in Christ. God, I pray that would be the prayer of some of those who are here today or listening this morning. Lord, help me take that step into your family. In this world where there is a battle going on between good and evil, between God and the adversary. Lord, we want to be found playing for and serving on your team. And we thank you that because Christ lives, we also shall live. It's his name we pray with gratitude and thankfulness and joy. Amen.